0: Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renter's insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you, and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. The United States is almost one full year into the COVID-19 pandemic, and questions still remain about the virus. How long does it last on library materials? How long should returns be quarantined? Can UV light kill it? What can we do to our HVAC systems to prevent spread? And more. Luckily, people across the country and in the library community are working to make these questions easier to answer. Today on Call Number with American Libraries, we look at those efforts. First, American Libraries editorial and advertising associate, Carrie Smith, speaks with Sharon Streams from OCLC. She's OCLC Project Director of the Reopening Archives, Libraries, and Museum Project, also known as RELM. RELM, a collaboration between OCLC, IMLIS, and Science and Technology Development Nonprofit Battelle Memorial Institute, has been conducting research since April 22nd of last year on how long the COVID-19 virus survives on materials common to libraries, archives, and museums. Carrie and share and discuss the project's findings. Next, I speak with Stephen Torito, Head of Library Operations at Vernon Area Public Library in Lincolnshire, Illinois, about how the library installed UV lights in its air handling units, along with enhanced HVAC filtration solutions to kill airborne pathogens, including COVID-19. But first, a word from Geico, today's sponsor. As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. GEICO thinks that last part should apply to you, too. That's why when you go to geico.com slash D-I-S-C slash A-L-A, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renter's insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com slash DISC slash ALA, call 1-800-368-2734, or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. Since May of 2020, the Reopening Archives, Libraries, and Museums Project, also known as RELM, has been studying surface transmission risks on common library and museum materials. The project, which will continue until September of this year, includes three phases. The first phase ran from May to August of last year and involved research on high-priority materials and workflows. The second phase ran from June to October, with researchers studying materials and workflows not addressed in the first phase. And the third phase, which began in October and runs through September of this year, includes monitoring and reviewing emerging research. American Library's advertising and editorial associate, Carrie Smith, spoke with Sharon Streams, Realm Project Manager at OCLC, back in November about the project, its findings and more.
1: So could you give me a little bit of background on the Realm Project, um, what the purpose of it was and how it started?
2: Yeah. It started with a webinar that IMLS hosted back in February or Mar- I think it was March, mid-March, um, where they invited um, guest presenters from the CDC to talk about um, COVID-19 and and transmission um, for libraries and museums. And at that time, you know, there was very, very preliminary information, and so they were going. They gave a general guideline that. Um, the, co- that, uh, the virus was thought to spread um, through, you know, touching surfaces, doorknobs, that that, it, that would be one of the main ways that, that the virus could spread, and that there was sort of a blanket um, guideline of um, a 72-hour, uh, you know, time to allow the virus to dissipate. And I think that the library um, it, and, and people in attendance of at the webinar sort of had a lot of follow up questions that were very detailed to the institutional settings and workflows of libraries that the CDC, of course, couldn't answer just because they're not, you know, don't work in libraries. And so they really just opened up a need to have much more specific Information about the types of materials and the types of operations that are are done in in libraries and then archives and museums as well. So um, that sparked uh, this project. um, That um, that we needed some research and some information that was um, spe- specifically uh, looking at um, libraries archives and museums and that led to this partnership with Battelle which is a, a, a science research institute that had already you know decades under its belt of of conducting studies of infectious diseases and viruses um, and then with OCLC uh, IMLS knew that of us as being um, you know We've, we've run many grant, national grant funded projects. We've worked with IMLS a lot over the years and we have that kind of, you know, built in reach to the library community and the capacity to do, conduct research projects and communicate them. Um, so that's what we, we um, put together that proposal and and kind of got underway um, in uh, May, you know, May is when we, we started um, the laboratory testing and have been Um, you know, working with representatives from libraries, archives, museums and the and scientists and associations that serve the field to uh, help us prioritize the what the research should should be researching um, and then to um, understand how that will impact those uh, institutions. Since this started back in
1: May when the original um, idea of how it spread was you know, through touch and droplets and that has, that understanding has definitely evolved. Um, how would you say um, that libraries should adapt like as more information comes out and what are the, some of the places that they should be looking for emerging information?
2: Um, yeah, so one, one of the key things that we do, you know, it gets a little bit uh, less in the spotlight from the, the original laboratory research is we've um, conducted two literature reviews. Um, one looked at research that had been published specifically about SARS-CoV-2 through mid-May. And we published that um, literature review the very first week of June. Um, And then we just published a second literature review that picked up from mid-May and looked at the um, much larger body of research that had come out um, through this summer. Um, We published that this month. And that's really to track you know there's sort of there's news stories that come out that kind of grab you know grab grab onto some sort of one thing and and that becomes the the um, idea of the moment but a more of a systematic review of what actually is is coming through the research has been an important piece um, and it has allowed us to see um, what is what is known and what is unknown about the virus um so one of the things has been to both um you know, communicate, that's been important for libraries, staff, and to understand is that, and to recognize is that they're making decisions with incomplete information and information that's changing over the time. So even today, it's still not known um, how much or how little virus it takes to make someone sick. So we might know that there's, you know, there can be lots of virus particles sitting around on surfaces or floating through the air, but we don't know how much we need to inhale, you know, get into our bloodstream in, in order to get infected. Um, and we also don't know how much people are shedding who are infected, either shedding through talking, breathing, um, or you know, um, getting it on their hands and then touching surfaces. How much are they leaving behind? Um, and then finally, we—it's—it's it's still not known um, whether contact-based transmission is uh, a factor in 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 cases of, of COVID. Um, it hasn't been ruled out. It hasn't been ruled in. It's it's notoriously hard to track. And so I think that's one thing is for library staff is to know that they're. Um, you know you're making decisions is with with the information that's that's there, but knowing that it really is um, still um, missing big chunks of information. So that becomes you know some level of um, you know risk doing some um, risk assessment um, and some sort of a balance against um, you know pragmatic decisions of resources and abilities. So um, you know some some um library systems be able to just the way that they have they might have the means to be able to quarantine for the you know materials for the to be the for the utmost safety like they can do it for a week and it's fine it it doesn't because um they have capacities others that just might be like it completely um prevents the ability for the library to Do anything if they quarantine that long, so they can make an assessment to say, you know what, 24 hours that's still probably gonna, you know, that's that's gonna do quite a bit. So, um, we can we can um make that decision. Um, I think the other thing that they can do is talk to their local health departments and their county health departments and, and their state in some cases, too, because you see there's big differences about w- the rate of infection in, in communities to communities. So I think that a library that's working in a trying to operate in a community where infections are on the rise and it's actively spreading um, probably, you know, erring on the side of caution is, um, makes more sense than a place where it's sort of, you know, the curve is flattened, there hasn't been any reported cases for weeks, um, and uh, and they've got um, good, you know, safety protocols of that are in place of, gener- you know, people just in general wearing masks and washing their hands, and, um, you know, that's going to take care of um, so much of the problem
1: right there. So, Yeah, and especially you mentioned like risk assessments, and I know that I've seen um, lots of people talk about like layering different ways of mitigating the virus. Um, Is that an important approach? And uh, what other things should libraries be looking at um, to control for in addition to the spread via like touch Mm -hmm. and things like that?
2: Yeah. So uh, it, I think the good news is that you know research. the research keeps continually um, reinforcing the fact that hand washing and wearing a mask um, over the nose and mouth to prevent, you know, both bringing in and, and shedding—it, it, it's just they're just both such effective and relatively super easy things to do, and they and they're going to—they're um, preventative against all forms of transmission: aerosols, you know, airborne, direct, um, and fomites. So. Um, I think that is just saying, um, if anything, just doing those things is going to go a really long way. Um, and then um, then there's a whole other um, set of things that I recognize are going to be harder f- for some um, libraries than others, and that's really looking at more the in, you know the air. Uh, indoor spaces, and as we get into winter, you know, there's a whole lot of factors around HVAC systems, heating and cooling, airflow. Um, we, with everybody just being able to be outside, you know, you, that really helps a lot being about sunlight around um, fresh air, um, that and warm air that all um, speeds the dissipation of the virus. But um, on the opposite side, colder temperatures. Uh, the virus floating around and uh, trapped inside, and us in there, is is all um, creating a, a a problem. So, um, I think that's just the other the other area is where possible is to look at um, maximizing your the air quality
1: and the air flow in your libraries. Is there anything else that uh, you're keeping an eye on right now in terms of like what we don't know yet? And I guess as a tangent to that, like, should librarians be trying to read the research themselves, or should they, um, like, are there outlets, like the literature reviews that you're doing, that they can look to a little bit more easily instead of trying to sort through the raw materials?
2: Um, Right. So the systematic literature review has a nice, uh, you know, executive summary that really is that, um, you know. TLDR version of it. And we've also incorporated, you know, talking through that in a lot of our presentations to the community. Um, We had a a, a WebJunction hosted webinar recently that um, talks through this. I did a, a, you know, I've done sessions with ALA. Um, So I think, you know, tuning into that, we help to try to, to explain it to the you know, let's boil it down to the takeaways, um, so you don't have to sift through the research The you know, reading um, original research around, you know, viruses is very technical, it's very difficult, and so that's what we're really trying to include is the, is just the takeaway from that. so I think the literature review, if anything, just reading, you know, the landing page and, and seeing the, the bulleted takeaways will be helpful. Um, but we do recognize that there may be, you know, research is continually to be published in real time. And so there may be, and sometimes journalists will sort of seize upon a new study and, you know, hold it up. And and I think that can be really helpful, but it also can be mis it can be um misconstrued because really um you need to have have a finding replicated right um many times before you could kind of say you know case closed about this particular facet so i'd say the other side is the danger is is um putting too much emphasis on a single research study you know including realm i mean realm is intended the research is intended to inform bot a, a growing body of evidence around one piece of the you know one or two pieces of the puzzle um so um just noting that um a lot of it we're going to learn you know probably like next year we're going to know it's going to be more what's the accumulated story um and not kind of reacting so in the moment to um one study that may emerge.
3: Um, and the,
1: are there any other resources you would recommend that librarians take a look at?
2: I think there's some nice, uh, we, we, we have put some examples on the REALM website in the resources section of examples of, um, uh, of other, you know, associations have who've provided some guidance or, you know, again from their expertise, so you have, um, you know, like the, um, is it the American, the Association of um, Industrial Hygienists, um, A.I.H.A. Right, um, and so they're you know they're cleaning and <laughs> um, sanitation professionals. So I think that's great. So that that those kind of resources where they're they're coming from, um, you know, having dealt with how to you know clean and disinfect all sorts of infectious agents over the years. So um, I think that's uh, great that they have provided guidance that it has libraries and museums, you know, specifically Um, National Park Service um, is another example. Um, Canada put out a really nice um, comprehensive document. Um, It's on our website. They've done a really nice comprehensive review of both anticipating um, questions as well as answers. Um, and also the Department of Homeland Security has a master master list of questions, um, I think it's called, for COVID-19. Um, and it's similar to the Realm Literature Review where it's continued, you know, but it's been updated at least every one or two weeks and it's um, highlighting um, emerging, you know, research that's addressing the various questions, but also, like Realm reinforces those known unknowns as well. Um, so I think um, it, it, it's also I think it's helpful for librarians to who might be going well what is Realm now you know that they can consult the Department of Homeland Security and see it's kind of echoing the same um, you know more measured I guess um, updating of information to not say to not you know, leap to a conclusion that's too preliminary to conclude.
0: As a member of the American Library Association, you're committed to providing the best reading for the largest number at the least cost. Geico thinks that last part should apply to you too. That's why when you go to geico.com/disc/ala, call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote, you could save even more with a special discount when you mention you're a member of the American Library Association. And be sure to ask how GEICO could help you with homeowners and renters insurance, plus coverage for your motorcycle, boat, RV, and more. With GEICO, it's easy to bundle your policies to make it easy for you and to help you save even more money. So don't wait. Go to geico.com D-I-S-C A-L-A Call 1-800-368-2734 or contact your local GEICO agent for a fast, no-obligation quote now. As libraries reopen or work on the reopening strategies, they're taking the results of the Realm Project and other studies and putting them into use. One such library is a Vernon Area Public Library in Lincolnshire, Illinois where UV lights and enhanced HVAC filtration solutions have been installed in air handling units to kill airborne pathogens, including COVID-19. I spoke with the library's director, Stephen Torito, about those efforts and more.
3: Your library, um, you've installed some UV lighting in two of the uh, library's air handling units, along with some HVAC filtration systems. Um, is to kill some airborne contaminants, including COVID-19. Now, I think my first question is, and some of our listeners' question is, as a layman um, who doesn't really know a lot of, of the science behind this, um, can you fill us in a little bit? How does this system exactly work? What's um How does a, a UV light work in, continu- in, in terminating these airborne pathogens?
4: Sure. Um, Johnson Controls, who is our HVAC company, Um, They installed racks of UV lamps uh, downstream of our filtration units and our air handlers. Uh, Those UV lamps treat the airstream using UVC energy before the air actually enters the ducts. The Mm -hmm. UVC does does not kill the microorganisms. Um, It prevents them from reproducing and makes them incapable of causing disease. There is about a 99.99% uh, reduction in bacter- bacteria rhinoviruses, and coronaviruses
3: oh wow um and your library, from what I understand, is the first in the Chicago area to implement this system uh what's what led you to do that is i know you have you've had a long standing relationship with Johnson controls was that was, was that um uh, assume that was a factor in this
4: it, it definitely was um you know with with the way the pandemic uh, happened. It, it was relatively quickly. So, this project was an extension of our commitment to to the health and safety of our employees and community. Um, when the big pandemic began, we took a hard look at our building systems to determine if they were functioning the best they could to provide a healthy environment both during and and after the pandemic. Um, we're fortunate because we've been working with Johnson Controls for many years. Uh, they actually did our original installation of HVAC equipment in 1992, and they currently have assigned an outstanding group of technicians uh, to perform our preventative maintenance. Um, with that, their knowledge of our systems and their commitment to healthy building environments was a natural fit for our planning to deal with the pandemic. Um, we d- wanted to do whatever we can to to make the building as safe as possible for, for all those that are in
3: it. Mm-hmm. And what was the um, the installation process like? And, and when did it, you you mentioned this uh, a little bit ago? Uh, when did it, when it actually occurred? But what was the the process like? I think some of our listeners might be curious as to did it require any new materials or new construction, or was it simply an add on feature? And um, how long did it take? Like, um, what was all uh, that whole process like?
4: Yeah, yeah, uh, great question. Um, you know it was it was all new to us <laughs> trying to figure out what the the best method for you know creating a healthy environment uh, was. Um, so we actually made several changes before we installed the UV equipment. Um, first, we installed MERF thirteen filters. Um, that's one of the the best ratings uh, for a business environment. Um, We increased the amount of outside air brought into the building by approximately 50%, and then we increased the humidity levels in the building to over 40% year-round. Those were kind of just small changes as we ramped up to to put in the UV equipment. Uh, Installation of the UV equipment, uh, unfortunately, is not a one-size-fits-all system. Mm -hmm. It is built to meet your needs. However, with our project, there was no new construction in terms of adding ducts or changing the physical building. There was design work for the system and installation of the racks in the existing air handlers. Uh, The design work took several weeks, um, and like any other project, there was a lead time on the parts. Um, However, the installation only took a couple of weeks and was done during our normal working hours. So I would say from beginning to end with the lead on the the parts, it was probably about eight weeks uh for installation.
3: Oh, that's not too bad, actually, all things considered. And Definitely. um yeah. Um now the, the, the air in the library, I'm, I'm assuming that's uh, prior to, to the installation of the of, of the lights and, and the new filtration systems. Um I'm sure it was tested before and after uh, Johnson Controls did their work. What um what's the res- what have the results been so far uh, in in your facility?
4: great question. Um, when we started this project, or when we before we we got you know going with the project, um, there really wasn't any testing done specific to COVID. It just wasn't readily available when we began the project. However, we started using a basic air quality meter at the beginning of 2020. Um, the meter we use tracks temperature, humidity, CO2, VOCs, and particulate matters such as microorganisms. Uh, it then cal- calculates an overall score based on that data with 100 being the best score. Prior to closing for the pandemic, we were averaging somewhere between 90 to 94% air quality. Um after we made the changes both with filtration outside air and the u v um equipment, we we're ranging between ninety nine to hundred percent air quality, so that's a pretty significant improvement from when we started
3: oh absolutely um and that's great to hear actually and um I think something else that our listeners are probably curious about now is uh, is the funding um for a project such a large project such as this now from what i understand this was um uh, funded by partially by the cares act right
4: it was um the our budget year is uh, july 1 through june 30 so when the pandemic hit we were kind of in the middle of our budget season so to speak um It gave us an opportunity to start planning for changes in our 2021 fiscal year budget. So we actually did budget to install some UV equipment in the air handler that services our public area, and then we budgeted to use smaller air purifiers in our office spaces. However, um, funding from CARES Act became available at the start of our fiscal year, so we were actually able to do a bigger project that included both our air handlers. Uh, the one for the public and, and for the office areas.
3: And um, the, this project, it's, um, it's a part of your, from what I understand part of your library's overall reopening strategy. Uh, when exactly is Vernon area uh, scheduled to reopen?
4: Uh, good question. So we are, the, the, the facilities are not open. All of our services really are are continuing um, as is. Mm-hmm. Um We do not have a scheduled date to reopen the building. Um, We're actually starting a construction project next week to add a drive-up window to our building. Uh, The intention of that addition is to give the uh, public a safe and convenient way to get their materials without actually having to come into the building. Um, The project is scheduled to be completed uh, by May. Uh, During that time, we'll continue curbside services, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, Another factor that we're you know, considering before we decide to open the, the doors as um, we're continuing to monitor health experts' re- recommendations for public safety. Uh, we would like to see COVID vaccinations to be readily available to staff and public
3: before we open our doors. Mm-hmm, of course. And um, you mentioned the uh, the drive-up windows that you're having installed. Um, what, what other measures um, are you implementing in response to the pandemic?
4: yeah we uh, increased in the actual building we increased our cleaning routines um we're limiting where staff could could go in the building trying to to keep them in localized areas so we don't have to uh to clean the entire building just just where the staff were um we set up social distancing by adding protective shields to desks spacing out workstations. Uh, and using UV sanitizing roomba like vacuums in office areas. Um, We set up a quarantine area for library materials and use commercial UV equipment on those materials at the end of their uh, seven-day quarantine. In terms of staffing, uh, we limit the number of staff in the building at any one time and try to work in cohorts as much as possible. Staff are required to take a health assessment before they enter the building. And then use PPE once they once in the building. Also, staff are working from home, selecting materials, planning and giving programs, answering phone calls, and providing reference services. We're, we're really focused on trying to provide all the services that we can, um, even though the, the physical building isn't isn't open.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that you and, and you know, thousands of libraries across the country we're all adapting to this new, 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 uh, new reality we're in now. Um, so we're all taking very similar measures. Um, for some of our listeners, I'm sure that they're um, after hearing um, your story, they might be interested in, in installing a similar system themselves, a like UV light filtration system. Uh, do you have any advice for them? Or like, where, where where should they start?
4: Yeah, you know, again, just taking a, a close look at your building systems to see how they're functioning. Um, for us, I, and my recommendation, I would I would first make some of those, quote, easy changes, such as increasing the amount of outside air um, and adding MRF-13 fil- filters if your system can handle it. Um, to go a step further, I would also contact an HVAC company such as Johnson Controls, that has experience with installing UV equipment. Um, spend time going over your goals with them. Come up with a plan together to improve you know, your indoor air quality. Um, the other thing is there are funding opportunities out there. We're very fortunate to have a uh, Lake County board member that was um, able to, to help us secure CARES Act funding. Uh, So I would contact your village, county, or state representatives to see what is available.
0: That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. Many thanks to Sharon Streams and Stephen Torito for discussing COVID-19 suppression efforts with us today. Join us next month as we talk to librarians and more about the black experience in the United States. Do you have something to say to us here at the podcast? Well, we want to hear from you. New to call number, you can reach out to us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about the show and more in your own voice. Call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that will be featured in future episodes. That's 312-857-6761. We want to hear from each and every one of you. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries.